Join me every month for the inspiration to find your finish line. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Find Your Finish Line, presented by Curad Performance Series, the official medical supplier of Iron Man, where you can find the far-infrared kinesiology tape at Walmart, Ironman.com, and on Amazon. I'm Mike Riley, your host, and this podcast is not only about you being able to find your finish line at a race and an event, but also in life. We'll talk to people from all walks of life that have jumped over those hurdles to get to the finish lines of today. And my guest has jumped over a lot of hurdles and gotten to a lot of finish lines she is 77-year-old Cherie Gruenfeld. Hello, Cherie. Hi, Mike. How are you today? Well, I'm happy to be here with you. Well, you are considered Kona's golden girl. You've got yourself uh, 28 races, Ironman races under your belt, 18 age group wins. You've won the world title in Kona an amazing 13 times. You've got four 70.3 Ironman championship wins, and you're also a member of the USA Triathlon Hall of Fame. And when someone goes through your resume like that, Cherie, does sometimes you sit back and go, wait a minute, did all those things happen? It seemed to happen so fast. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. You know, I, I listen to that kind of thing, and, and I... I can feel the memories of some of them and, and how those things felt. It's hard to believe that, that that's me and that it's actually happened. You know, I've just, I've been around a long time. I know, but it, it's, you know, like anything that is, is a pillar is, and you're an institution in our sport and part of the Ironman family. I can't imagine after all the years that obviously I've been there and the other races that you wouldn't be involved with Ironman. You don't see any end in sight, do you? <laughs> I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> not that. No. I didn't mean that kind of man, you know. <laughs> well, you yeah. just called me an institution, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I meant the end of racing, you know. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, you know, I, I, I've been, was, have been thinking about it. Um, and everything I liked about the racing and the Ironman and all of that kind of thing, you know, I, I liked the challenge. I liked the always having a goal. I love the people that are in the sport. So why would I ever want to get out of it? You know, so I kind of feel like as long as I can, I'm there. Well, that that's a that's a great philosophy because there's so many people of your generation that we all know that more or less even even in their 60s, I friends in the 60s have kind of given up on having those big goals that they set for themselves. Why, why do you think that happens? Well, uh, it's an easy thing to have happen because uh, you, you never forget what you, how you used to be able to perform as you move through and you hit your 60s and 70s and so forth. And it's, it's uh, easy to get frustrated and say, you know, I, I just can no longer do this. Instead of saying, I can no longer do this like I used to. But let's reset the goals and work on what is now realistic. And some people just are not willing or able to do that kind of thing. 
Well, Cherie, we, we talked a little bit via text before the podcast, and you said you had done a pretty tough... I mean, hey, everybody, we're talking... Cherie Gruenfield, 77 years old, and she's texting me about a tough brick session she had today with a six-mile run in there. Tell us about your training session today. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I'm going to Lava Man in a few weeks over in Kona. Kona, yeah. And uh, that's an Olympic distance. So I thought uh, maybe I should try a brick where I'm running the six miles off the bike. <laughs> and uh, so I, we have some canyons around here where they have, because they have to look for good hills here in the desert. But in the canyons, you can find them. So I just did a 25-mile bike ride that had some good steep hills and then a run that had in the canyon that had some good steep hills. And uh, at 77, that kind of workout <clears throat> is a tough one. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I have memories of doing that kind of workout on that very same course 10 years ago. Wasn't that tough 10 years ago? <laughs> but it is now. <laughs> but, well, there's, the, Cherie, there's many age groupers out there going, oh my gosh, I didn't do anything like that today. And she's 77. So don't feel so bad. Don't feel so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the world of running and triathlon, it's not like it came into your life in your, in your teenage years or your 20s or 30s. I mean, you were in your 40s when you've kind of discovered... Uh, I think it was the LA Marathon and saw that. And and did you not play sports when you were younger or did you just have to go out and play with the boys because before Title IX? What, what was the story with that? Well, that's exactly right. There, that was before Title IX. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was also a time when girls just didn't do sports. They, you know, I guess some did, but basically girls didn't do sports. But... Um, as I was growing up, I grew up in a household with two brothers and parents that uh, were not, uh, didn't coddle me at all. When I said, you know, there's nothing for me to do, they said, just get out and play with the boys. And so I got pretty roughed up playing with the boys. And then as I got into junior high and high school, when, and when the boys were having organized sports, there was nothing for girls. So I, I really didn't have any opportunity to compete when I was in any kind of sport when I was younger. So when uh, the running thing kind of hit, I wasn't a runner, but I saw the first LA marathon on TV. I believe it was in 1986. And uh, I didn't know anybody that ran and I didn't run. And it was on a Sunday morning and picture this for a Sunday morning, we were lying in bed, reading the newspaper, eating sticky buns. That's how we spend our Sunday mornings. Wait, stick, sticky buns. Sticky buns, yeah. Those yeah. are like those, those are like cholesterol times 82, you know that. Yeah, like 3,000 <laughs> calories for every one you ate, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I watched this. Uh, it was in L.A., and so uh, we were living in L.A. I turned on the TV, and there it was. And I watched all these people doing this thing, and I'm sitting there eating sticky buns. And before it was over... I had committed that I was going to do that marathon the next year. So the next day I went out and bought a pair of shoes and I bought a book called How to Run Your First Marathon and I started running. And five months later, I got, I was ready to, to run one. So I ran the um, run through the Redwood Forest oh, and wow. uh, I did pretty well. 
And so I decided to, to keep doing it. And that started the marathon business. That was the first time I had ever competed and I was loving it. And then made the transition to uh, triathlon, uh, to, yeah, to Ironman. I didn't do short triathlons. I just saw something about this Ironman thing and said, well, I got to run, so I want to do this. And uh, that's in 92 when I was 48. That's when I did my first Ironman. That, that, that's a great story. And uh, you mentioned the LA Marathon. There is the finish line tape of the first LA marathon right there because really? I announced the, I announced the race they gave and both winners names are written signed on there. I've just always kept that of the, of the LA Whoa. marathons, such a great, such a great event. But do you think Cherie not having those organized sports as a, as a young girl, young woman in the early years, actually, when you look back at it today, maybe it was a little bit of an advantage for you because you didn't have any, you, you didn't get injured in a sport, whether you're playing soccer or basketball or whatever it is. And you all of a sudden came into your 40s and you were you were basically fit. Do you think that was kind of a blessing that you weren't in those organized sports? Well, I don't know. I'd call it a blessing. But yeah, I, think I wouldn't. Were yeah, advantages. I, I, that, that choice of words wasn't good. You think maybe just because it happened that way that yeah. you stayed injury free. Yeah, I think that it, it did help, uh, certainly, to keep me injury-free. I also think that part of it was that when you start a sport at 42, like I did with running, or 48, like I did with Ironman, you're a little bit wiser than you are when you're younger. And I went into both of those knowing that uh, I needed to take care of my body if I wanted it to work well for me doing these kinds of things. And I just, I think that that's an attitude that some, if I'd have started younger, I wouldn't have had, and I might've just trashed myself. So, uh, you know, I, I've, the only injuries that I have really suffered have been from bike crashes rather than, uh, you know, injury because I overworked or whatever. So, yeah, I think there was some advantage to it. The, the, uh, stepping back just a little too with the, it must give you such great pleasure to see all the incredible women in our sport and in running and all sports uh, after that Title IX and, and how it opened up the, the floodgates to it all. Uh, that's got to be something that you're very interested in, very proud of. I'll tell you, I think that was the greatest piece of legislation since giving the women the vote. It, it just changed everything. And um, I'm sorry I wasn't there when it happened, but I'm, I'm glad that it happened, that everybody else. I remember at a women's breakfast in Kona one year, they had uh, Karen Smyers speaking. And she was just knocked out. That was the first time that she had really realized she heard all of us old ladies talking about, you know, not being able to compete when we were younger. And she said she, she had never before really thought about what that meant. <clears throat> she had every opportunity in the world, and she rattled off all these sports that she played in school. And to think, here are all these old ladies sitting here that we never had any of that opportunity. So, yeah, it, it, Title IX is, I'm all for it. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, but you've also had a strong work career. You've been one to always, you know, especially after you started running marathons and doing Ironman, you, you kept up with your profession, your, you know, executive marketing positions of major companies. And how were you able to uh, juggle that, that strong work career and, and working out and training? Uh, 
Well, <clears throat> I really didn't. <laughs> when I started running marathons, um, the first thing I thought about is, you know, I really like doing this. Can I do it? I was traveling a lot at that time. Can I really do it with all the traveling and all the work that I'm doing? And it was really pretty easy. You know, you can pack a pair of shorts and shoes and you can run at any time of day in any city that you're in. And, um, and I was managing and, and uh, an organization. And so I could kind of set the time for meetings where I could get a run in first or after or whatever. So it worked out very easily when I did marathons. But when I decided that I wanted to try this Ironman thing, particularly since the only thing I had was the run, I didn't know anything about biking and I could swim, but you know, I wasn't really a swimmer and I knew that I couldn't do this and work the kind of work that I was. So I really didn't start the training until after I had boldly made the decision that, that I, and Lee supported me that I was going to take a leave of absence. And I did and started training the next, the day that the leave of absence kicked in. So I have juggled a lot of things, but I've never had to juggle living and working in that corporate world like I was all those years. And, and hasn't that, hasn't that lead of that leave of absence been since your fifties to today? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'll tell you, I, I actually took this leave of absence for it to be uh, six months and I was going to go train and do this Ironman. And at the end of the six months, when I crossed the first finish line, I ran right into Lee's arms and I said, man, I love this stuff. I'm never going back to work. And so then I had to go tell my men, the people I was working with that I wasn't coming back. And when I told them, he, the, my, the, the CEO of the company said, we knew you weren't coming back. And I said, what do you mean you knew? I thought that was the agreement. I was coming back. You didn't fill my position or anything. And he said, well, the first month you were gone, you sat in on conference calls and you helped us out. The second month you were gone, you took our phone calls, but you weren't very enthusiastic. And he said, by the third month, you didn't really care about as much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess it was time for me to move on. <laughs> I, I love it. He had you all figured out. Hold on, everyone. We'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Even after 40 years on the microphone at thousands of events welcoming hundreds of thousands of athletes to the finish lines, I am still in awe by the incredible endurance of each and every athlete and what you display. The physical exertion, the sweat, and the challenges you put your body through deserve a level of support that match your dedication. As the official medical supplier for the Ironman US Series, Curad Performance Series lineups of wraps, tapes, bandages, supports, and braces give you, the serious athlete and weekend warriors alike, the optimal support needed to keep moving, including new far infrared kinesiology tape technology, which reduces energy made through body heat, back to targeted areas to help you heal faster and enhance performance. So don't you let sprains and muscle pain hold you back, recover smarter, and shop the entire Curad Performance Series on Amazon. 
Cherie Groenfeld, she's speaking of Lee, Lee Groenfeld, her husband, who graciously uh, wrote my book with me. But speaking of an author, you know, somebody else is an author right there. Cherie <laughs> Groenfeld with her book, uh, I've got on my shelf, Become an Iron Man. When you did the, the first Kona, and that was, two, what year was that? 92. In 92. Uh, I missed you that year, didn't I? Was that? Uh, no. You missed I, I, calling me in? Yeah. What, what year? So. What year was it that I missed you and Lee yelled at me? Oh, uh, uh, I remember. That. <laughs> I don't remember, but it wasn't the first because yeah, it wasn't it? Wasn't the first? So yeah, I heard this uh, voice and and I thought I didn't realize you were saying that to everybody. And I thought, <laughs> how does this guy know me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funny. I, I I know everybody. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> well, uh, and after that first Kona, you know, as so many are, Cherie. They just become hooked. It's an infection that just invades you in such a good way. Uh, did you always know from the time you finished Kona the first time that this was going to be your path and your uh, your sport the rest of your life? Uh, I wouldn't say I knew that. But I, like I said, when I finished Man Into Lee's Arms, at that point, I was already thinking <clears throat> that I knew how I could go faster the next time. So I was definitely hooked to keep going. I think if somebody had told me at that moment that 30 years later I would still be doing this kind of thing, I would have poo-pooed that. I wouldn't have thought that that was going to happen. But I definitely knew that I was in for a while. Well, like all age groupers, you've had setbacks. As you mentioned earlier, bike crashes. I can remember Lee calling me and telling me, and it wasn't long before the Kona race one year that you broke your collarbone. And, uh, and I'm thinking, oh gosh, she won't be in Kona. And, and you go through the story. How long was it before Kona? Because all I know is you were at the start line. Well, I said that was the one that wasn't a collarbone. Uh, it was a rib. It was no a rib. Oh, okay. Yeah. We had gotten to Kona and I was going out for a run the first day we were there and was just not paying attention or talking to somebody. I don't remember what, but I was walking through a little walkway to get out for, to the road for a run. And there was a tree root there and I just tripped on the tree root. It wasn't a bad fall, but I smacked against a, a tree right there and I could hardly walk to get up from that. So I had, I, Lee was convinced that I'd never be able to race. And I had no idea how I was going to race, but I did. I did. It was certainly not my best race. It was, it was the first time in 17 years, I remember, or 17 races there, that I didn't even make the podium. So uh, it, was, it was a rugged one, but I was still glad I did it. But that that's what you know the question arises and i know what people out there are thinking first of all why you were hurt could you have gotten hurt worse but what what drives Cherie Gruenfeld to do that what 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 do you think is in you to pick yourself up and go you know what damn it i'm going to do this what, what is that Cherie? uh i don't know for sure um my entire life, whether I was in sports or, or not, uh, I have been driven by goals. Um, 
my parents will tell you a story about when I was in the fifth grade and over Thanksgiving, I had a project I wanted to do and don't bother me with turkey and all this stuff. I'm doing this project. And that's, I don't know where that came from, but that's kind of my MO. It has been my entire life and it served me pretty well. So I've never tried to change it very much, but that's, that's truly it. If I've got something that I set out to do, unless I'm dead, I'm going to figure out a way to do it. At least that's been the case in the past. (laughs) We'll see. Yeah. Uh, and, And you know, that's why I truly wanted to have you on the podcast because you hear, especially the last two, two and a half years, as you know, Cherie, with the pandemic and everything, it's amazing how many excuses come out of people's mouths and how many negativities are out there that you, you almost don't want to hear. Uh, do you think that the positive side of, of people ha- has a tough time to come out during tougher times? Um, I wouldn't say that. I would say that, that the positive side of people, if people have a, a strong positive side, it's going to come out when they're being challenged with some real tough times. If people don't necessarily, you know, there are people that just don't, if they are presented with a situation, they don't go for the positive first. They go for the negative first. And in that case, then something like the pandemic is real tough on people like that because it's, it was those couple of years, it was tough to find positive. So um, I think that's what got to a lot of people is they just weren't able to dig through the negative and get to the positive. Mm-hmm. Try and pull something out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that sounds Sorry, like what, I know something about what I'm talking about, and I really well, don't. So <laughs> you, you, you do. I, you know, it uh, experiences everything, and and some people say you know getting older is is a, a, a part of life that you look forward to because you you've made mistakes before. What what is your do you have a philosophy on 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 age on getting older? I sure do. Um, <laughs> I think everyone's kind of forced to, because it's going to happen to all of us. Yeah. Um, for since since I moved into the old category, which is a lot yeah, of when, years now. When was that? <laughs> when do you think? I don't think you're in the old category. You'd kick my ass out there. I mean, jeez. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, there's no fighting it. I'm in the old category, but uh, I've always understood that. You have to age. It happens. But you don't have to get old. And so I think if you kind of keep trying, to, it's, a, it's a delicate balance. When I'm speaking now about the athletic part of it, it's a really delicate balance to keep pushing yourself. Because if you, if you just say, you know, I'm older now, I can't go that hard, then you can't. But if you keep pushing yourself, trying you're going to go better than if you didn't push yourself. But if you expect to meet those goals that, that you used to meet, even five years ago at an age like mine, you're just going to be disappointed. It's going to be awful because it's not realistic. So you have to kind of get in the middle there where you're still pushing and trying, but understanding that you've got to have goals that are reasonable and then be satisfied when you accomplish those goals and not think about, well, man, that's an hour slower than I used to be. Um, so there's, it's tough. 
it's really frustrating and tough. But the aging thing is there. And, and I'll tell you something else, Mike, is that this sport, to succeed in it, you need physical strength. But you also need, and perhaps even more, you need mental strength. The physical strength is going to go. The mental strength doesn't have to. There is no reason that we have to lose our mental strength. So if you keep that, that's going to keep pushing you to try and keep on doing better or just hanging on. I don't right. know if doing better is, what is ever going to happen, but just hanging on. And but it is definitely frustrating. I, I, and there is always so much talk about recovery. And as we get older, you know, even in the 40s and 50s, some of the workouts you do, and but the recovery time is longer. Do you find that uh, a, a tougher part of your training regimen? Like, oh my gosh, I did the brick today and I know what I'm going to be able to do tomorrow or not be able to do tomorrow because of recovery. Um, yeah, it's, I wouldn't say it's, it's, it's a, an adjustment that you have to make. And uh, sometimes I, I made the adjustment some time ago, so I'm over it now. I understand about needing the recovery, and I, I do it. But, yeah, in the beginning, uh, when you start to, to re need more recovery, it, it is hard to reconcile that you can't do two or three big days back to back and expect to do it with quality any longer. Right, um, right. That, that recovery is, is really key. And I'll tell you another thing, it's along those same lines, kind of, is I think as, as we get older, that the, one of the keys to sticking with it and staying in and still getting some kind of good performance is strength. And because it, we, we've got the endurance, it, that's been built up from all these years, but we're starting to slow down. But if you can stay strong, you have a chance of still being able to run well or do whatever well in this sport. Um, and so I am just, I, the three most important workouts I do during the week are Monday, Wednesday, and Friday strength work. I got a trainer who kills me for 30 minutes, three times a week, and she's making me stronger. And I think that that's paying off Real big, real big. Yeah, dividends. That's fantastic. Yeah. Cherie, what of our uh, female professionals in the sport, which ones do you admire? Which ones do you look at and say, wow, that's just talent or or you love how they live life? Or you have any your favorites out there? Well, that's a good question. You know, I've been through so many different generations yeah, of those yeah. pros, and I knew the the old generation, uh, Paula and Aaron and and Karen Smyers and all those, and uh, I I really loved that whole generation um, because they were learning how did how this sport worked and how well they could do it and that kind of thing, and it was an inclusive family kind of thing. And, um, and that I found very comfortable and I really liked it. So I really admired all of those young people that were driving this sport at that time. Um, the, this, the newer generations, I certainly don't feel like I know them as well. Marinda Carfrey, uh, and Tim O'Donnell are two of my favorites. I think <laughs> that they, uh, not only have done so much for the sport, they continue to, they've lived a, re they are living a real life 
with all the ups and downs of, of real life, but they're getting through it and doing well. And I have great admiration for them. I look at Lucy Charles and I just drool. <laughs> I think she's got so much going for her. And I can't wait to, to see her in the next few years because I think she's really going to break out in the next few years. And, yeah. uh, and that's just pure admiration on my part for her. Agree. And it's interesting because, uh, you know, with St. George coming up, the World Championships in May, uh, that's what everybody's looking for, especially on the women's side and the men's side, a barn burner of, the, of a race. And you're not going to compete in St. George, are you? No, no. Okay. No. What is what is on the schedule this year? Are you, you do you have one set besides well, the Lava Man? <laughs> um, so far, it's I've got a pretty light schedule compared to what I've done in the past. But uh, I'm doing Lava Man, and then I'm doing Honu seventy point three. Uh, I have nothing planned right now for the summer, but I will add at least one or two races in the during the summer. And I'm on the books for Kona in October. Um, but as I mentioned in a, when we talked this morning, um, I'm not fully committed to Kona in October. As going, I'm committed to going there. I'm not committed to racing there yet. The reason for that is that, um, you know, I retired from Ironman racing in 2015. Right. And I did that because I had always said that, I would race, and I was asked this question a lot, how long are you going to keep doing this? And the answer was very firm in my mind. I'm going to keep racing Ironman races until it's no longer, the training is no longer fun. I'm not enjoying the training or that I am just racing against the clock. You know, I'm not able to really race it. I'm just trying to beat the deadlines. And in 2015, I realized on a day out here in the desert where I train, it was 118 degrees. <laughs> a fireman actually stopped me and said, I'm going to follow you. Because I said, I'm okay. You don't need, I'm okay. He was worried about me. And he said, I'm going to follow you home because you just shouldn't be out in this stuff. And I realized that I was not enjoying this training. I was just struggling through it. So I said then, if I can have a race in 2015 that I'm proud of, I'm walking away. And I did. And I walked away and I was as happy about it as could possibly be. And just been racing 70.3 since. In 2019, I had no desire to go back to Kona. In 2019, I was turning 75. And there is a record, Sister Madonna, in the 75-79. And I kept looking at that and I thought, mm, I think I could break that. Uh, that competitive spirit, yeah. I know it came out yeah. in you. The, the new, the old a a analogy of the new age group. So you, <laughs> you, it, it clicked for you, didn't it? It did. And, and so I said, that's it. I'm going back one year. And then I, and then I qualified and I was all set to go. And then I, in the middle of in July, I had a medical issue. And so that year was off the books. So 20, I was ready to go again in 2020, and I thought, well, I'm a year older, but um, I still think I can do it, so I'm going to go. And I was prepared to qualify, but we all know what happened in 2020. So then now my opportunity, it was either St. George or Kona. 
I don't have I don't have the desire to just do another Ironman. I have the desire to do one more Kona. So St. George was not a draw for me at all, even though I like racing the 70.3s there. So I said, uh, 2022 in Kona, I'm 78. It's a far different feel. Those The years between 75 and 78 have taken their toll. I'm, I can feel those three years in my performances. Um, so I don't know how things would go in Kona. But, uh, and I, I don't know how the training, I just don't know if I'm ready to put my body through another summer of intense training because our deserts here are, you know, 115 degrees all summer long um, to do it one more time. But I have a go, no go date of when I'm going to make the decision. And what's drawing me to go is that I believe that I might spend the rest of my life asking what if, if I stayed, if I didn't go. If I stay home and don't even try and live the rest of my life wondering what if you had tried, how would you have done? I'm not sure I can live with that. So I don't know if I'm going to say yes or no on any given day, you know. Okay, well. We'll see. So stand thank you. by. Thank you for your honesty with that. And, and uh, although people should live with the philosophy of no regrets, because then they do, you know, jump off that cliff and find out what they're really made of and what they can do. And, and I understand that in you completely, Cherie. So I, uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me to see you at the start line in Kona. But that's completely up to you. But but uh, but I'll be waiting. I'll, I'll just tell you, I'm going to be on the pier. I'll be out there somewhere. And just think, just think, you get the race on Thursday, and then you can just yell at everybody on Saturday at the men's race. <laughs> that's you can, right. You, you can be laughing at all of us still working. You're just waving. You know? <laughs> that's right. Well, Having for a good sure, time. if I do it, I want you on the microphone when I come in. I guarantee it. <laughs> I guarantee it. But then all of a sudden, I know you. You're going to turn 80, and we're going to have the same conversation. Oh, okay, Mike, no, we're the not. The 80 to 84 <laughs> age division. You know? <laughs> no, you know who I admire is, uh, uh, oh, the Japanese fellow. Um, Hiromi. Uh, yeah, Hiromi Anadu. Yes, yes. Yeah. He's talking about at 90, and he's it, just as bound determined to go as possible. What a guy. He's just a what fire a plug, isn't he? It's just yeah. something else watching him. Yeah. Cherie, you, you're, a, you're a passionate person. You're one that loves life, but you also love helping people. And for the last 17 years, You've uh, started, you started an organization 17 years ago called Exceeding Expectations. You call them your EE kids. And, and back 17 years ago, you had what, like 12 or 13 kids do a little mini triathlon because you, you gave a talk out in, I think it was Riverside County and to some underprivileged kids. And all you wanted to do was, was help. Exceeding Expectations has to be something that fills your heart and soul but to be able to see what you're doing for the kids, it's beyond words. Why don't you take us through that? Uh, well, you're absolutely right. This is my 
real passion and not for nothing, but it's been 21 years. Oh my goodness. Um, Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah. How about that? How about that? Yeah. It, it was pure serendipity. I didn't have this thing that said, I need to help these kids or I need to help people. I was invited to speak at a school in San Bernardino. And uh, I, I spoke to these kids. I talked to them about setting goals and then showed them a, a little video of me doing Iron Man and showed them what it felt like to accomplish a goal after you'd really worked hard on it. And they were just a great audience. We had a good time during this. And, and afterwards, I said to the teacher, there's a little triathlon in a neighboring city here coming up. And if anybody wants to try it, I'd be happy to help them. I envisioned a couple of kids who had bikes, who had parents. I should have known better. So uh, the next day, the teacher talked to these kids and said that I had made this offer and who wanted to do this. And 200 hands shot up. Oh, my God. So, yeah. So she called me in a panic and said, you know, what do you want to do? So I said, have anybody that's interested come to the school on Saturday and I'll select a group of kids. And there weren't 200 on Saturday, but there were a lot of kids and not a parent in sight. And um, we selected 12 kids and um, I started training them. I started training them on the bike. I'm not sure why, because it would have been easier on the run, but I got some bikes from fellow triathletes and started training them on the bike. We took them to the, the little triathlon and I got people to swim for them and run for them. And they loved it. They did a great job. They wanted to do it again. So I trained them to do the bike and the run. They did it again. They loved it. They said they want to do it again. And I said, okay, now you got to swim. Well, that's when the whole thing almost fell apart because these kids didn't swim. They didn't have pools. They did yeah. 60 miles from the ocean. Most of them had never seen the ocean. And they were terrified of water. So I told them, you know, the finish line is through the water. You climb on my back. You get my arms. However you do it, I'll get you to the finish line. And I nearly drowned that day with the kids because I panicked in the water, but we got them all through. And they, from that point on, we were doing triathlons with little sprint triathlons with these kids. And, uh, that was fine. It was, it was helpful. But one day, a few months later in the car, I had some bunch of kids taking them home from someplace, talking to them about going to college. And one of these kids said to me, these exact words, he said, Cherie, why are you talking to us about this? That's for other kids. It's not for us. And that just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I, I realized that what we were doing was good, but it wasn't, it wasn't solving any real problems. And so that's when I realized that our goal had to be to get these kids to understand and their parents were, or the adults in their life to understand that education was for them if they were willing to work for it. So that became the goal is to get all of these kids educated. Be, and, you know, what that meant is that we had to be financially supportive of that because they couldn't get into college on their own. So anyway, that became the beginning of exceeding expectations. And just to flash forward 21 years, we have kids that have graduated from college. Some of those same kids are still in the general area and they come, they work with us, they mentor the younger kids and every single kid now and many parents understand that exceeding expectation is an organization that will help their kids get educated and it's just i get more out of it than i can possibly give to these kids but it's it's uh the love of my life 
other Good than my you. husband. And I know you and Lee, the giving of, of your time, it's just, just amazing. And you're paying it forward. I remember uh, my brother Don and I, when we came to the uh, Marine Corps Recruit Depot, when one of your EE kids uh, uh, graduated from boot camp in the Marine Corps, and then didn't he make his, he had a bit of his life through the Marine Corps. Was it Hector was his name or Oscar? No, Edgar. Edgar. Uh, Edgar. Mm-hmm. Edgar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he uh, had a really nice short career. It, because he ended up in Japan where he had a nice gig there. Uh, but he had a wife and they had uh, several kids. And the wife and the family just was not happy with all the time that he spent away. So he got out and he's moved back. He's in the San Bernardino general area. And he has a nice job and the family is happy. I don't think he's as happy as he was when he was in the Marines, but he's happy. But we now have a second one in the Marines. Wow. Yeah, he graduated from boot camp, and the only problem he had in boot camp was he got dinged a couple of times for smiling when he shouldn't have been smiling. <laughs> this is a great kid, so he's he's doing real well now. Yeah, we'll we'll forgive him for that on the outside world, but the marine world they won't forgive him. <laughs> That's for that. right. That's right. Cherie, you've never been one to hold back your opinion on anything, and and which I love. Uh, g- give us what, how you think how you think the sport of triathlon is doing overall with everything involved, whether it's inclusivity, whether it's whether it's a male female, whether it's enough races or the price entry fees. How do you think the sport's doing? Uh, gosh, that's a big question. Um, generally, I, I think they're doing well. I think that they're very well aware that we have from the time it started until fairly recently, not been an inclusive sport. And they're very well aware of that and they're doing better, much better, trying hard to keep it inclusive, to make it inclusive. And it's difficult to do because it's, it's an expensive sport. It's not one that's, that's out in the schools that keep the people can get uh, experience there and get help there. Uh, so it's a, it's a tough one. I think as far as the females, I know that, there's, there's been problems as far as race money and prize money and that kind of thing over the years, which clearly hasn't affected me. But it, it, it's certainly clear that the women are racing the same thing that the men are and that they, they're not, there's, it has nothing to do with drawing bigger crowds or smaller crowds. And so they should obviously be treated the same. Uh, from my perspective, it doesn't look to me like it's a serious problem, but then I'm not in that realm where I would know how serious the problem was, to tell you the truth. Um, I think that the pandemic was really tough on the sport, but I, I support how they handled the thing. I think that it's, there, was, there was just no easy answers as far as the cancellation of races, and some people just went crazy because they didn't get all their money back and all that kind of thing. I don't think there was an, an answer that would have satisfied people. And I think that the way that they are coming back, is, from what I've seen, is astonishing. I think that they're doing a real, I went, I raced Honu last June, so June right. of 21. And I felt as safe and protected and like it was just like old times as you could possibly be during that time. And, uh, and I think that's because of the organization. 
So in my book, yeah. I'd give them a good grade. Yeah, and it's going to be a full slate of races this season, as you know, which yeah. which we're all which we're all looking forward to. For goodness yeah. sakes, Shuri, what you know when 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 you when you get a little older, you know, people always want to ask your opinion of things, and and it, it's great giving advice because you've you've made some mistakes, and you, you don't want other people to make those mistakes. So, what advice would you give to our age group athletes out there? on how to approach both racing and life with a positive attitude. What, what advice would you give to them? Well, I don't know that I'm qualified to. Yes, you are. Yes, never you stopped are. me before. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, I, I feel pretty strongly about this, that um, you need a balance. The sport that we do is important to us. When we go out and race it, we want to win. We want to do well. But so what if we don't? That's not the most important thing. I, I do feel that, although I love triathletes generally, I just think that some of us tend to take it too seriously and believe that this is life and death stuff for us. And then look around you. This is nothing. It's just a thing we do. It's something that we enjoy. It's something that drives us. So it's important to us, but look at your life. There are so many other things that are important to us, and those are the things that really count. So I think that my advice would always be to people is just put it in perspective. Don't let it just take over your life. I, I agree. It's interesting how when, when something comes into your life and it's a very positive side of your life, people have a tendency to push away some other things and thus yeah. they lose balance. So even though they're a great triathlete, they, they may end up not being a great father or brother or sister or mother, you know, so yeah. uh, the balance thing is, is absolutely everything. So on, uh, I, I know you and Lee have listened to the podcast and my last question, I call it tri table racing. It comes out of the Baja 1000 racing that, as you know, Rose and I have friends that race down in the Baja in their cars and everything. And afterwards they sit around the table and it's called table racing. They reminisce about the event, what happened or reminisce about other events. So this is tri table racing, pick out any event or any time in your, your career uh, of an event or something happened to the event, funny or sad that you want to reminisce with us about sitting down at the table and chatting it out. Whoa, I should have thought this one through first. Yeah, I don't um, like anybody having the time to think it through. It's just off the top of your head. Um, well, uh, let's talk about in 2015. And I already told you this was the time I was going to Kona. I wanted a race that I would be proud of in order to quit, in order to call it a, a day for, of Ironman racing. I didn't know at the time exactly what it meant, what, what a race that I would be proud of would mean. I thought it involved probably winning, but you know, there's more than that. I had, I had won some races that I wasn't, I liked them and I liked winning, but I wouldn't say I was really proud of them. So I was looking for something I was proud of. And I had some competition, the um, Natalie Grabau, yeah. who's a lovely lady, she had raced with me in Kona for a lot of years, and I had always been able to beat her. She, I mean, she was a good competitor, 
but had never be never taken it from me. Um, so she, but so I looked at her as my main competitor. There were others there too, but she, I looked at her as my main competitor. And uh, in that race, I got out of the water before she did. I heard them calling. I heard you calling her out of the water as I was starting on my bike. So I knew I was ahead of her there. And then she's a strong biker. And she passed me maybe mile 40 on the bike. And uh, I never saw her again. So, you know, she, she had a good lead. And, um, but did you try, Sheree, not to start, did you try staying with her and said, oh, I, I need to hook on or anything like that? No? Um, no, I didn't. Um, I didn't. <laughs> my, my racing in Ironman has usually been, when I see something like that, and this, this will certainly be not my MO if I go back again, but I had a strong run and I knew what, I, I figured approximately how far ahead she would be of me. And I, I wasn't worried. I thought, I can catch her on the run. So, no, I didn't. I, I took note of where she was. I did see her. Uh, I shouldn't say she was completely out of sight. I did see her a couple of times during the, during the rest of the race. So I knew she was, you know, not completely out of reach. But um, So when I started the run, um, she was ahead of me and you know you go down uh alihi first and i didn't see her i didn't know what she was wearing so you know i and people look different and and you get unfocused sometimes so i thought maybe i just missed her but i figured i should have seen her coming back as i was going out um and i had uh dave scott joined me for larry lee had told everybody that I was having to catch up with, that I was behind and I needed to catch up. And so at one point, Dave Scott joined me for two or three steps to tell me where she was. And at one time, Mark Allen joined me for two or three steps to tell me, you know, you're doing fine. Just keep going. Not bad company and, out uh, there. No, no. <laughs> and uh, I got to the uh, energy lab and Lise was standing there and he said, She's, I don't remember what he said, how far, but she's down there. Well, by that time it was dark and I didn't know precisely what she was wearing. And when I came, was turned around and to come out of the energy lab, I saw this woman that I thought was Natalie and I passed her. So I thought, this is good. Now I'm ahead. I, if I can keep this pace, I got this because I know she's not going to speed up and I can keep the pace. So I was feeling comfortable. I got to the top of the energy lab and Lee was there and he said, she's and pointed, you know, so many minutes ahead. And all of a sudden my heart sank and I thought, whoa, wait a minute. What is this? I thought I was ahead of her. He said, no, no, no. She's ahead of you. So I just kept running and running and and the reason that I point this out, that this is a, such a special moment to me, is because when I look back on this day, I could easily have simply panicked and lost my run, um, or I could have just given up. Um, I could have done a lot of things, but I just kept moving at the same pace. You know, like my game plan was just fine. I stayed very, very calm. Just before the big hill coming into town, 
that to go down Polani Hill, somebody, a friend, jumped out on the road in front of me and said, she's right up there. And I looked and she was, Natalie was in the, the light at the top of the hill. And so I just cranked it on and I passed her before she'd taken another five steps, I guess, and ran down the hill. Lee was at the bottom of the hill just going ape crazy because he was expecting to see Natalie first and then to see me just totally dejected. And there it was me, and I was running like a madman, and uh, came into the finish line uh, like three or four minutes ahead of her. And she was so lovely. I, you know, for me, that was the first time that I thought all day long, I'm so glad I won because now I don't have to come back again and miss <laughs> this thing. <laughs> and uh, she was just lovely about she thought she had that race won and she had every reason to believe she had that race won and to get passed on that hill is that's really a toughie to take and she said my head said go and my body just couldn't and I just can imagine how awful that was for her but she was just lovely about it and we hung around for a while. We went and got a massage together and we had something to eat together. We got her with her husband. And so that to me was, that was the race that I was proud of. It meant I could stop doing Ironman races and be so happy with it that I could come back the next year and watch and be perfectly happy. And Natalie won the next year, which made me really happy. Yeah, yeah, she did. So, yeah. And, and you know what? Maybe in twenty twenty two in October we can we can see another proud Cherie Grunfeld moment. You never know. I'm you just never saying. Know. I'm well, just I would saying. hope so. <laughs> Cherie, thank you so very much for your time. You are so lovely to be. Uh, uh, it, we're we're honored and and for you to be a part of our sport. You're a leader. You're in a person that inspires others just by your actions, but your words are so powerful. So thank you very much for all you do. And, and I just can't imagine, uh, you know, a, a racing world that you're not out there at the start line because you retired, so to speak. So hopefully that'll never happen. <laughs> oh, bless your heart. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Cherie. And, and if you want to, uh, Cherie's got her own website, Cherie at CherieGrunfeld.com, plus the eefoundation.org. If you'd like to know more about exceeding expectations, Cherie's organization, go to eefoundation.org and find out all about it there. Thank you again for joining us, and thank you to Curad Performance Series, the official medical supplier of Ironman, where you can find at Amazon, at Walmart, on ironman.com. And if you enjoyed the show, give us a review if you would. We'd love to hear from you. You can pick us up everywhere on Spotify, Overcast, or on my website, MikeRiley.net. Thank you very much, everybody. And like Cherie says, don't sweat the small stuff. Don't be so engrossed in what you're doing, you forget about the good things in life. So take care of yourselves out there, everybody. My warmest aloha.